Hey there, welcome to Entree Hustle, a podcast about startups. I'm your host, Zach Kanarska, and our head hustler sat down with Jeff Epstein of Ambassador. That's getambassador.com to talk about being an entrepreneur. They talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. Ambassador is a referral marketing product. Jeff explains more about it and dives into his story. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. Most startups don't fail because the team has an inability to build a product. Most startups fail because they don't have this pesky thing called traction. What is traction? It's marketplace validation. It's actually having customers. Apparently, it's this wild idea that's been swirling through the tech entrepreneurial atmosphere. Apparently, you need to have customers to have a business. I don't know. It's ridiculous. But if you want to learn more about it, you can go to entrehustle.com slash audible. If you go to entrehustle.com slash audible, you will get one free audiobook from audible.com. You can choose from thousands of titles, but a quick recommendation, the book Traction. It'll tell you how you can gain customer validation in the marketplace and start with explosive growth for your next project or your next company. Now, if this whole crazy idea of getting customers for your new project freaks you out, this book might be a good place to start. Go to entrehustle.com audible. Now let's get started with Jeff Epstein. Here we go. My name is Jeff Epstein. I'm the founder and CEO of Ambassador. Ambassador helps companies track and manage referrals. We're a SaaS uh, software as a service, uh, which is a, a software, obviously, a subscription-based software we sell to other businesses. And uh, we're located in Royal Oak, Michigan. Uh, founded the company about, uh, about six years ago. And we've kind of thoughtfully grown. Um, we were part of Techstars in 2011, and uh, just recently closed a round of financing. And we are now, uh, as of today, 40 people with a couple more starting at the beginning of the year. So, this episode is really exciting because the Ambassador team is growing so fast, and they have such a great product. One thing that you can do is you can go to Google right now and you can search for a top five referral program and Ambassador is going to pop up. That is really exciting. They truly have built a world-class product here and it's exciting to see, it's exciting to hear about. Here we go. I think so. I mean, I think in terms of a numbers perspective, we started the year, at least from a headcount perspective, we started the year, I think 11 or 12 people. And now we're 40, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll end the year at 40, but we actually have a couple more people starting for sure. We'll be 45 and, and you know, uh, the first week in January. So uh, at least from a headcount in terms of percentage-wise, I'd imagine we're up there for a given size. Um, and, and I think from a revenue perspective, we've, we've 4x headcount roughly and, and, you know, over 3x revenue. So um, it, it's, it's been an amazing year, but... The key for us is, is, can we do it again? Um, and then I think we can. When companies talk about bringing consumers into their product, they call it bringing them through the funnel. As the website directs you to a sign-in form, as you fill out each field, putting in your name, your email, your password, that's leading you through the funnel. 
Jeff Epstein and his company aren't trying to optimize the funnel. They're trying to optimize how a consumer is utilized once they've already bought into the product. How can they make a current consumer into an ambassador? How are you interacting with the people that have already converted? So I think your customers or the people that you already know. So employees, fans, customers, general advocates. We call them ambassadors. And how are you leveraging the power of those ambassadors? And in one way is certainly referrals. It's very, it's, it's intuitive. It's referrals have been, it's existed forever. You know, the beauty of, of you know, uh, you know, social and, and, and various networks and, and people being connected is that we can now amplify those messages across millions of people instead of word of mouth being from, you know, one mouth to one a year. Um, so we're actually looking and thinking into next year and in the future, how can we leverage that post, really that post conversion, uh, you know, area? And right now it's very fragmented, and but, but again, referrals being a big slice of that um, ultimately it does draw and, and it kind of closes the loop at the top of the funnel again and, and bring in leads. But um, it, we think again, there's a lot of opportunity there at, at the kind of new space in the marketing stack that's not really being leveraged uh, completely. Okay, so there's a lot of opportunity in referral marketing, but why? Why have companies like Uber, Dropbox, and PayPal, who, by the way, is one of Ambassador's customers, why have they relied so heavily and grown so much on the backs of referral marketing? Inherently, when someone is referring, they are, they are putting their stamp approval on it, putting their name behind it. Um, there are obviously, there are different levels of, you know, what you could call maybe advocacy or ambassadorship that someone may have, but, but absolutely. And I think that's, that is the value. And I think when you take the value of those referrals of those people vouching, but you tie it to their online presence, it, it, it adds this level of accountability that, you know, maybe didn't exist before, uh, you know, these social, you know, LinkedIn and, and you know, LinkedIn and, and Twitter and Facebook. So if I post a, you know, about a certain clothing, um, you know, on Twitter, you know, my friends are going to know if they, for example, click on it and purchase it and say, hey, Jeff, like, that was awesome, or, or alternatively, that wasn't awesome. So I am inherently accountable uh, to the things that I post, which I think, which, again, for brands is very valuable. It's not just a person hidden behind a, a, a screen. Uh, you really have, uh, if you want to reach the masses, like you, you are ideally a person with a we're going to get some level of accountability as well. So that adds to the authenticity um, of this message. We keep throwing around the word referral marketing. So let's dig into an example. Let's say you need a cab, but you're frustrated because you don't know how far away the cab is and maybe paying for it is difficult and frustrating and you didn't get the right change. And your friend says, dude, you should really be using Uber. Check out this app. You can call the car right to where you are and it'll come get you. And if you sign up right now, you'll get $20 toward your first ride and I'll get $20. It's a win-win for both of us and it's a great product. And so you download it and now you are using Uber. Your friend is an ambassador and soon you will become an ambassador too. That's all we're talking about here. That is referral marketing at its simplest form. Now. There are a lot of analytics and automation that make the, this process as seamless as possible, both for you and for the company. 
Now that we've gotten that all squared away, our head hustler Michael Drew asks Jeff about his first startup, eSparty. That's right, Jeff went to Michigan State University and his first startup deals with having an online portal and also food delivery? Sure. So eSparty.com was my first real foray into a true business where I actually raised a little bit of money. I mean, this was a couple thousand dollars from a few friends uh, along with myself um, and actually built a website. And again, this wasn't me personally. We hired an agency at the time, um, which was, again, rare to find. There were only, a, I remember, a handful in Michigan that we could find to build a website. Um, this was the year 2000, so very early in the kind of Internet days and well before, obviously, the main social networks and things like that. Um, and it was it's funny, and, and, and looking back and thinking about it, and probably many of the listeners here will be shocked at what we wanted to do, but eSparty.com was a place where people went to MSU to congregate online. And that sounds really funny today, but at the time, it, it was what I would call a portal. And there were only a few, you know, there were a few portals, and the main ones were Yahoo and, say, AOL, um, and, and, and maybe like Netscape or something. So if you wanted to, uh, for example, find information, there wasn't uh, really, people weren't Googling things back then. They were actually looking on uh, a list of different websites, let's say, that were under sports. They could find ESPN and maybe CBS and a few other ones kind of in that list. So it was really kind of a rudimentary uh, the old days of the internet, the early days of the internet, at least from a from a mainstream perspective. The one cool thing that I'll add that we did do that I was kind of innovative um, was we did have online ordering for food um, from your from your uh, from the website. So that was pretty. That was three or four years before Grubhub even started. Uh, we had uh, basically built a mechanism which turned emails into faxes because at the time. Even companies didn't have computers. These restaurants didn't have computers in their offices. They did have fax machines, though. So what would happen is an email would send the fax, and then they would then send you know the delivery to the person's house. But uh, that was pretty cool. I'm, I'm proud of that. Although, you know, fortunately, it was a short-lived uh, company and business. Uh, but I but I did learn a lot in terms of even the sales and and and, and really like hustling and uh, many of the lessons of of just starting and running a company, even though it was a short-lived and very unsuccessful in general. eSparty is truly amazing. It is the Harvard connection. It is the early Facebook before its time. I'm truly blown away by the product that Jeff built there. Even if it was short-lived, that is truly amazing that him and his friends had the foresight to see that coming. It absolutely was. I mean, I think, again, like what we wanted to accomplish was uh, a way for students to connect, and there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't a way to really do that on a broad scale. So there were a couple other websites that I think people ended up using. Uh, obviously, a few years later, people used Facebook, uh, which really made that, you know, made a lot of the other uh, companies obsolete. Uh, we were not even close to doing what they did, but um, I think it was it was interesting to see, like, the evolution in, in a short period of time, how much, you know, the... The, you know the, the people people's usage of the internet and, and the ability to have you know, high speed internet change. Because in fact, the year that we started, uh, the company was the 
the first year that they had high-speed internet in the dorm. So before that, it was actually very rare for people to have internet access that was meaningful, to hmm. be honest. So it was the days of dial-up. So it was a while, it was about 15 years ago, so it's certainly a long time ago, but it's crazy how much progress we've seen in, in a relatively short period of time. Hmm. We really have come a long way in the tech industry, in internet, just in the last 10, 15, 20 years. And that's what is really amazing about this story. Jeff was starting an internet company when internet was just becoming mainstream. So what has to happen in a young man's life, in an entrepreneur's life, to expose them to the internet in a way that it makes an impression on them so that they feel compelled to build something on that platform when it's not even the most popular medium of their time. When I was in middle school, I actually had a, uh, a, a year-long paper, like one of the, the kind of the main thing that I had to present. I actually had to stand up in front of the class, which was terrifying, and talk about like a topic. And in seventh grade, I think it was, my, my mom, who worked at Michigan Bell, which was, you know, Ameritech and, and eventually AT&T, which was actually one of the most progressive, tech, you know, technology companies in, in the world at the time. Um, although it doesn't, wouldn't necessarily seem like that today. But she said, you should do your report, or I have an idea. You should do it on something called the information superhighway, um, which is funny to call it that. Uh, it was the Internet, but it was something that no one actually knew what it was. It was only, a, it was an idea. It wasn't even like a... I mean, it was a thing, and literally it was a thing, but not to anybody mainstream. And, and I think, like, uh, so I remember just reading about it and being like, wow, this is going to be amazing. Like, data is going to be moving fast. And most of it was over my head and comprehend. But, but I, I remember the thinking that this, this, this thing, the internet, this information is going to be really a big deal. Uh, and at least my mom, you know, thought so. And she, you know, she knew, you know, knew everything, like, knew everything and knew what was what was going on so I think that was uh, I guess uh, a, you know lucky for me to be in that experiment but but ultimately I, I, I didn't realize I don't think I realized the power of the internet until until a little bit later um, in, in that you know and, and that was uh, you know quite remarkable that really that the people connect with one another um, much more so than the data. I mean, the data was interesting. Being able to look up papers as a in college was was, was really helpful. Instead of going to the library, that was you know one of those things. But um, I think as I as I evolved into learned a little bit more about business and things like that, when I really um, just saw some opportunities that I thought could be could be leveraged. We talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and some, like like Max Nissenbaum from last episode don't really know that they're going to be entrepreneurs when they're young. Jeff Epstein is a little different. He feels from the very beginning like this is something that he's going to do. Like he's going to be someone who takes risks. Like he's going to be someone who builds an organization from the ground up. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I, I mean, and I should say, I don't even know if an entrepreneur is a career. I think someone, an, an entrepreneur is someone who thoroughly enjoys like all facets of business, right? And like have like, and then have like the guts to take a chance. Um, it's not always smart. Uh, I think there's a very fine line between someone who's an entrepreneur and someone who's viewed uh, to the to the outside world as like 
I don't want to say a bum, but someone who like isn't doing anything. Um, for a long, a long period of my life, although I was working very hard, uh, and the people that were super close to me knew that, I was probably seen as someone who was doing very little uh, and not necessarily a productive citizen. Uh, just because it's not you know, a lot of a lot of being an entrepreneur, building something is isn't very sexy at all. It's actually a lot a lot of hard work, and there's you get no appreciation. So, um, but I always have known from, and, and, and I've known because I know what excites me and what makes is interesting to me. I love knowing about businesses, about operationally, about the things, you know, the, the, the metrics or, or, or the inputs and the outputs that, that move the needle. And I've always known that whether it's friends or families or people that have, uh, whether it was a job in high school or, 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 or even, you know, family businesses, I'd love to like kind of know and understand and ask questions about them. Was, I like sports and I like business. Like those are the things I just liked and was kind of passionate about. Um, so I always knew one day I would like to own my own business. I didn't know what that would be, but I always hoped that I would, I would do that one day. Um, and, and I think it takes a different mindset. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different way of life. It, it, it's much riskier, obviously. Um, but for me, that was really what I what I really wanted to do was just kind of control my own destiny and build something that could be much bigger than myself. Hmm. If you identify with that, if you're someone who's obsessed about business, who thinks that they might be an entrepreneur, a self-starter, an organization builder, or maybe if you already are, Jeff has some good advice, some things you should think about before you jump all in. Yes, there are a few things, and I would say there are really a few major key learnings that I wish I would have tackled earlier in my life. And I would say the first one is, and I think luckily this one wasn't a problem for me specifically, but the first one is it is way harder and way less glamorous than, than, it, than it looks. Um, and that doesn't mean, yes, there's, there's you know, the risk you know, there's there's a risk reward profile, and like it may make sense, um, but day to day, it's for the most part uh, a lonely, a lonely kind of slog through through the mud. Um, you know, you are you know again. For me, I was basically a solo entrepreneur, so I was I didn't have partner. I, although I did have partners down the road, but for the most part, I was going in it with a majority of the time and energy with my with my own, and and that's and that's tough. Um, and, and, and the reality is no one or very few people in your network probably know what you're going through and there's really no sympathy. And that's not because they don't care because they have no idea what you're doing. So I think that's really tough. Um, the second thing that I, that, that, that I, that I learned in this thing is it's something that I absolutely was horrible at and it took me a long time, probably several years to even get decent at is if you want to own a company, if you want to start a business, you have to be able to sell. Uh, you are always selling. You are selling yourself. You're selling your business. You're selling potential people to join your company who are potentially employees. You will always need to be selling. And if you are uncomfortable talking to people or meeting people or networking, like you should try to fix that ASAP. Um, again, that is much easier said than done. I am probably... We were not pretty introverted. Um, if you were to like take my kind of, uh, if I were to 
take some tests in terms of kind of my personality. Um, and it's in many ways I have to like, it's, a, it's very exhausting for me to, you know, to, to be the center of attention or, or, you know, or to, uh, you know, network, but it's something that I know I have to do and I'm, and I'm completely comfortable doing it now, even though maybe I was, my default is not to be in that, in, in that setting. Right? I wouldn't do it for fun per se, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and for reason I thought maybe there was a way that I could, you know, make this amazing company, make all this money, do all these great things and like not have to like call people or like sell. That's not, that's like, just very unlikely. So for me, I, I didn't go with, I wanted to be, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was so excited about it. But I didn't really know what that meant. And I think number one thing is you have to sell. Um, and then the last thing that I would say is, and this is incredibly tough, you have to have confidence in yourself because most people are not going to have confidence in you. And again, that's not a knock on whoever you are or whatever you do. It's just the reality that you know, 90% of startups fail and it takes a leap of faith to, you know, to, to, to start a company, to start a business. It's hard. Um, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And that's like super cliche. But the reality is there's going to be a lot more haters than people that are free for you. Um, and, and, and that's and it's just it's tough. Um, and I think those are things that are, you know, kind of tying back to the first point. It's, it's a lonely um it's a lonely time to do that. I mean, if you have 10 partners, maybe not, but um, it's one of those things where, you know, it's very glamorous and, you know, people, you know, look back and say, wow, you've done this, all this amazing stuff. And, you know, for four years or five years of it, it was pretty not amazing. People. You know what I mean? Like now it's great uh, and, and it looks great, but for a long time, it, 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 people probably didn't think better didn't even know that I, that I had a job, you know? So, mm-hmm. and, and that's okay. Like I was comfortable with it. Um, but it's, you know, sometimes for like external pressures, like my wife was fine with it. Parents were, I think, okay with it. Um, and then you see validation along the way. Maybe there's an article and they're like, oh, my son actually does have a real job. Uh, but for a long time, my good friends uh, that I grew up with would be like, I actually don't know what you do every day. You know, like at basically saying, like, I don't even know if you have a job. Um, and then like, yeah, it's funny and people laugh it off. But like, ultimately, those are, those are tough conversations to have people like, you know, thinking that about you sometimes. So uh, you have to have a thick skin and, and have confidence that uh, you know what you're doing is right, and whether or not like mainstream, uh, you know, the mainstream, you know, kind of, you know, your regular circle of friends or people that you know know who you are, they maybe may not think that. Real quick, remember last episode we talked about business incubators. Right now, Jeff is going to talk about getting into a business accelerator, which, for our purposes are remarkably similar to incubators. All right, looping back in. Jeff talked about needing thick skin, having confidence. So our head hustler, Michael Drew, asks him about a time when maybe he didn't have so much confidence or felt a little insecure in meetings. Getting into Techstars in New York was a huge validation. It was it was an amazing inflection point for me as an entrepreneur, knowing that someone was believing in what, what I was going to do or what I was attempting to do. And going into fundraising there, it was incredibly challenging. Uh, we were probably the least interesting company from uh, kind of, you know, look, talking to my peers and seeing what they were getting and feedback and hearing. Uh, it was incredibly stressful. My first, I remember my first meeting uh, with with a with an, 
an investor who has a well-known fund that was, uh, you know, a kind of super angel, maybe what you call them now, for those, you know, micro VCs who has you know, hundreds of startups. And I, you know, stuttered and, and uh, you know, kind of rambled my way through the meeting. It was, it was terrifying. I was, I completely was uncomfortable and not, and, and, and did horribly. And um, I felt, I felt horrible. Um and that probably happened 10 more times before I even got a little bit better. Um, the, the, what I would say is, and I think those examples exist. I mean, I think the good news is I'm much more confident in myself now. I know that I am the expert of the, the product that we sell, of, of the market that we sell to. I've, I've been doing it for long enough. I feel comfortable. I may not have all the answers, but I feel good about my responses, typically. Um, but I, but the, that took years of being wrong, and I'm still and I'm still wrong. And I just think I, I cover that up better now. Um, and, I, and I think the, the thing that I've learned is that this is the one, the one most, one of the most valuable pieces I got from Canada. This is one of the things that you're doing as entrepreneurs, which is awesome, is that you realize what makes entrepreneurs successful usually isn't their intellect, you know, per se. It's not someone who knew something that nobody else knew. Like that, that happens once in a while. But what you find is you hear these stories, and again, again, I bet you hear these all the time. It's someone who freaking just was willing to work harder and sacrifice more and take more chances than somebody else. And you figure it out as you go. Um, there's, you know, there aren't any books to building companies. There are certainly some guides. There's certainly some and ideas that make sense. Um, but you learn through your mistake. You you know you become a better salesperson by messing up ten times or a hundred times, and um, you raise money and learn to talk to investors by getting embarrassed, unfortunately. And and you know maybe they're not they're not going to make fun of you per se, or but they're going to tell you we're not interested and you're not a good fit or it's not the right time. And you know what that means? To be honest, is we're not going to invest in you. Um, when you're looking at an er- when you're in an early stage on money, it is absolutely personal. And I, I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday. It is 100% personal. They are not willing to bet, on you. and you have to be willing to bet on yourself, even when other people say no. And for me personally, I, I, it's been a chip on my shoulder that I, that that I'm I guess proud of is that I'm partially motivated to prove that you know the haters wrong, the doubters wrong. Um, and there are many of them in, you know, in this community. There are many of them in, in you know, obviously in the world. Um, but I met with them face to face at Texas, and you know, they they backed other companies, and you know, many of those companies aren't alive today, and we are. So you know, it's not like I'm not looking to you know rub anyone's face in it, but I, it also motivates me to wake up and, and work harder, stay up later, and, and do the things that, again, aren't very glamorous, but will hopefully push us forward. So how did Jeff actually end up at TechStars? It, it, it was it was certainly challenging to get into uh, the stage of our company. We were we were actually we had products, so it was uh, I and just a quick background on the company itself. We had outsourced the original development of of Master. It was called Deferral at the time, and it was an in-house affiliate management platform essentially. So it was, we 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 kind of modified kind of our our, our pitch and modified the product, uh, but it was. Similar to what we to what we do today, and uh, and obviously we rebranded to Ambassador, of course. 
but we had an actual product and uh, I had myself and a couple, I had an outsourced development team and I had a couple very early employees when we got in Techstar. So we were like three people uh, with one, uh, one other person that was remote. So it was a four person team. We were thousands of revenue per month, let's say, or thousands of revenue per year. So very early, like hundreds of revenue. So maybe a couple hundred dollars in revenue per month. So basically, almost no revenue when we got in. Um, the bar, the bar to getting into TechStars was certainly high, and I can tell you my what I did well was I networked with some people, and it was really through luck and happenstance. But I connected to some uh, one of my mentors and a, and a good friend of mine, I think Jason Bassey. And he was in Techstars New York the season before, the year before I was in it. And I became close with him. He really helped get me into Techstars. And, and one of the ways that we got in was uh, through a personal, a personal referral, an introduction. And going back to, your, to the last question in terms of what is the thing that I've learned, people, relationships are extremely valuable and probably more valuable than, you know, your own personal skill set. So, um really having that connection to Jason. He introduced us to some people. He vouched for us. Himself being a successful company was a huge uh, way to get us into the door, get us into a meeting, and then ultimately we, we helped close the door and make it happen. So it was really valuable. Um, in terms of in terms of thinking about the, the you know, the, the, so, the, so the stage, again, we were, we were pretty early. But, it, but I think for tech stars, you could be, much earlier, you, we had people in our class who just had an idea, and they were, you know, four very qualified people. And we had people that were even later that were, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. What I would say, though, for any incubator, which I highly recommend, Texas, I think they do a great job, um, is really making sure that you have a rock-solid team and also networking. So if you know Ted, if you don't know Ted, you should reach out to Ted or the Detroit uh, start group if you're a local in Detroit and you know, try to you know pick their brain. I mean, be be you know you know be thoughtful about his time. But you know, you can definitely get people's attention. And um, I would say one thing that that is much more possible now is like do your homework and and make it easy for them to to want to help you. So give them like the you know the details that that they can do to to you know push you your application or your team in the right direction. Because I think that's something that people can do that shows a little bit extra effort and gets kind of gets you top of mind and the committee that's looking for, you know, the top 10 or top 15 companies. Ambassador went from 10 employees to 40 employees in 2015. They are arguably the fastest growing tech company in Detroit. Now, how did Jeff Epstein end up in this place? We talked a little bit about the entrepreneurial spirit and drive that he had early on, but our head hustler, Michael Drew, wanted to dig in a little more. What did he do between eSparty and Ambassador? How did he end up to this place where he is running a company, a team that's growing so successfully? Yeah, that's a great question. And absolutely, I wouldn't be where I am today without those experiences. I think the experiences are, for an entrepreneur, really their they're, they're key source of, of, of education. I mean, if, if you can... If you can find a mentor, if you're fortunate enough to find someone who can really show you the ropes, that's amazing. Um, what I would have done differently maybe was that he would get a job at a startup that's actually doing well. That probably would have worked a lot better than 
screwing up 10 times or maybe three or four. Um, but fortunately, I think I did have a couple of successes that I support. A combination of luck and, and hard work. The affiliate marketing company, uh, which I started while in law school, was was started because I didn't want to practice law, and I was terrified that I was going to have to get a job in law because I had a bunch of loans, I had six figures in loans, and I had no, in my mind, like no real skill set other than being a lawyer. So I was I was literally terrified to have to practice law, and I started a company. Um, this was about 2008 or 2007, 2000, uh, 2007-ish, 2006 maybe, where we, you know, helped we helped companies get more customers, uh, and it was through word of mouth. But the word of mouth was actually done on AOL and Messenger, and you know, just in person. And we realized quite quite quickly that we were generating millions of dollars for for our clients, and it it was just complete eye opener. I, I had. It was when I really saw the power of, of, of you know, social networking, and this was even for me before Facebook. So um, that was the epiphany in, in where we saw the, the realization that down the road, I think the idea of ambassador, the idea of, of referral marketing makes sense. It, it, the, the seed of that happened when I when I did company and did really well. And I did end up selling that company, and a story that I don't tell very often and actually, I think maybe compartmentalized my brain forgot about a little bit was I actually did well. I made I made a lot of money on that. Uh, not a lot, enough to pay off my loans. And um, I moved back to Michigan from Chicago, and I actually bought an internet company because I didn't know how to code one. And I thought if I could just buy one, I could I could I could surely manage the whole process and, and understand how to do this and sell. And I bought this like SEO company and. It had a software technology to it. I didn't know how to vet the technology. Uh, long story short, I basically turned this company that had decent revenue, maybe it was a six-figure revenue. Uh, I bought it for a really cheap price, but I actually I literally ran it into the ground um, because I didn't know how to maintain the code base. I didn't know how to sell. I I uh, I would dial the phone numbers of the people I was supposed to call, and I would hang up or I, I, was, I was nervous to talk to them, and I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know enough about SEO to sell it. Uh, I just bought this company. So it was a huge learning experience. I literally wasted a bunch of money. Uh, I wasted a bunch of time. But I think in that evolution, I learned a lot about software development and the, the need, which is now very obvious if you read it, you know, if you read startup blogs. And again, this was kind of before the startup movement was, was very you know, mainstream. How important is that when you can you know, build your website or how you can build it yourself uh, or something you can be technical and can scale a, scale a platform? Uh, I totally overlooked that, and I never even thought about it uh, or not enough to make, to, to make me think twice. And it, it cost me a lot of time and money and energy, and I, you know, unfortunately like, ran that company in the ground. And, um, but I think, again, it helped me, it, it helped me learn a lot about, about myself and about businesses and about being comfortable and selling and trying to hire people because I, I went through them. I almost got an investment and ultimately failed, um, which was great. I mean, in hindsight, that company never would have succeeded in the form that, that we had, but um, it was a, it was a wake up call in terms of what I, how to run a business. I needed to do things differently. I needed to act in a different way and certainly be more professional and thoughtful as I uh, wanted to grow. Jeff Epstein is a humble guy. So he says things like, I sold out and made some money and, you know, 
covered my student loan debt and went and bought another. He went and bought another company and covered six figures in student loan debt. We aren't going to let this one slide by. What What is this company, Jeff? It, it was it was neat and for a little bit of context, it was, um, I had four partners in the company that we started. I was essentially, I, I did most of the work, uh, but we all had different functions. And for me, I was graduating law school. Our affiliate marketing company was in the poker space. And during that time, before I sold, uh, poker was fairly legitimate. I mean, I would say similar to what Daily Fantasy is today, where it's pretty well well accepted and advertised on TV and things like that. And during the time that we owned the company, there were some laws that changed and became uh, more of a gray area. Again, similar to kind of what we're seeing in Daily Fantasy. So so I kind of sold near the bottom. Um, it was nice. We were making lots and lots of money for a period of time. Uh, enough for, you know, it was split four ways. It wasn't crazy, but in terms of the dollars that we... We, we could comprehend being a kind of a poor law student. It was enough to pay my rent and, and to, to live a meager, you know, uh, lifestyle as a student. And uh, when the laws changed, you know, the, the value of the company went down considerably. I realized that it was best that I could just take, you know, my profits, pay off school, and, and ultimately sell to my partner. So it wasn't it wasn't quite like the celebration or anything that that maybe it could have been. I think if I would have sold a couple months earlier based on those numbers, it would have been a pretty meaningful chunk chunk of change. It wasn't a small amount, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't life changing even for a poor student. Um, but what it was 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 it was a little bit of validation, and it was certainly enough of a cushion to allow me to not have to take a job at a big company. I mean, I think I I moved back uh, to Royal Oak. And I bought that one company that, that I ran to the ground, but I also did some real estate investing. So I really was trying to kind of almost find what I what I was good at. And I think like I, I don't know if I knew. Uh, I wanted to do something. I wanted to be entrepreneurial, but I didn't know. I didn't really have a lot of guidance and, and mentorship because again, the startup community didn't really exist, and I didn't know even what a startup was, um, a, a, especially as it is mentioned today. So for me, I was really searching for something to do. And luckily, you know, eventually I kind of stumbled into, you know, I think Ambassador was an out, you know, was one of the ideas that I had kind of kicking around in my head. Um, you know, I started that and I got the validation from Techstars and then, you know, we've been kind of on that journey ever since. In summary, Jeff starts a company, Jeff sells his share of the company, Jeff buys another company and runs it into the ground. And here we are at Ambassador. Now, what I'm thinking is that that is one heck of an up and down cycle. Our head hustler, Michael Drew, asks Jeff, how do you manage the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur when you can hit such highs and such lows in such a short period of time? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, my biggest feedback and advice, and, and I would say I, I agree with that. I think that's pretty, pretty typical and, and makes me feel, you know, in, in, in a lot of cases for people that really have a goal to, or a dream to, to build something is, you know, the, the key is being able to subsist on, on, a very, on a very small amount of money. Um, it's one of the reasons why it's a great time to start a company and we see so many successful companies built and while people were in college because they're 
their life is already paid for typically when they're in college. So they have some, some slack in their schedule to build something, right? Or they don't have to worry about a roof over their head. Um, I would say the, the, the reason why people typically fail or give up is usually because of money. And if you are willing to sacrifice, if you're willing to sacrifice where you live, if you're willing to sacrifice your clothes or your car, um, this is not glamorous stuff. But if you do that, you can you can allow the company to survive. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that people typically do is they say, I want to start a company. I want to make a lot of money. I want to pay myself a market. Like, that's not realistic. I, mean, I, I think for, uh, I still tell people, I told people this now, I've been an ambassador for six years. I I am pretty confident, uh, given uh, how much I how much salary I make today, which, which is very, on a very low end of the scale uh, of our company. Uh, I'm probably still in the red uh, from the amount of money that I put in to the amount of money that I've made in salary. Now, I'm you know you can't do it to me if you're doing it for the money. You're not doing you're not doing you, you know you shouldn't be doing it. It's not it, it can't be for the money. Um, I was fortunate enough. I had a conversation with my wife, but before we were even married, and I told her uh, very vividly that, uh, are you okay with me trying to start this company right now? Uh, I'm not going to be making any money. Uh, she didn't, She was in sales. She wasn't making a lot of money at the time. And she said, I'm okay. Like, I want you to be happy. And, and, and that sounds like, you know, it was a moment in time on a, you know, like a Tuesday night, who knows? Um, but it was a, pretty profound moment in our relationship and in my life where like someone who has to support you. And luckily again, I was able to have that support system. Um, someone who was willing to let me follow my dream and, and, and be okay with me not bringing home any money because that's a hard thing to do in a relationship. You know, we lived together. Uh, we were married soon after, but we then lived with my parents for, for six or six or eight months. We were saving money. Um, you know, that was after we got married. It's not, uh, it's not exactly the honeymoon most, most wives are looking for. Um, but that, that was what we did. You know, that was what we had to do. Um, and, and so I would say, so, so my advice is, if you can get your expenses down low enough, if you can move in with your parents, if you can maybe take a side job, if you can do those things to extend the life of your business, those are the things you need to do. Because ultimately, you're going to learn a lot more by, by failing. And, you know, no one raises money out of the state. I mean, you know, that's that's a... a it's a you know it's a fiction uh, that doesn't happen. Uh, you don't you don't just have an idea and then raise money. I mean it takes months and months of a really good process and a really good team and a really you know a lot of things to go right for you to raise money. So you know thinking that you are going to raise money to, to fund your idea is is, a, is I think not a not a great not a great plan. So uh, that was a super long answer, but that's kind of uh, my my thought process on it. And I think generally speaking, like. My, my advice would be like, hopefully, like, if you're willing to sacrifice, like, you can do it. Like, I don't, I don't think it comes down to like intelligence necessarily. Or, I think I'm just a, a normal guy that like is willing to work really hard to sacrifice a lot. When you actually get a clear picture of what it looks like to start a company, you see it with all of the glamour stripped away. You realize that you really need to love what you do to be someone who founds a company, who starts a project like this from scratch. Jeff also thinks it's important that you have help along the way. And he thinks that that help is much more accessible than you might think. The one thing that I think is 
really, really awesome. And I would actually tie this into like something that I've learned is that entrepreneurs love what I think you know almost universally love what they do. And I think what what's really awesome about that is that they're also really willing to help other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And you know, in in your case or in my case, you know, willing you know wanting to help you, but even being like available. Like, I think what you'll find is that entrepreneurs, when you ask them for a favor, as long as you kind of ask them in a way that makes it easy, you'd be surprised how often they say yes, even people that are really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think like that's, you know, personally, some, some feedback and, and just to answer your comment, I think like you will probably be surprised at the rate at which people will be willing to spend an hour with you. And I think you can even, you know, again, if you want to look at and try to get a hold of somebody who you think, oh, I can't, you know, they wouldn't want to talk to me, I think, like, you'd be surprised. And, and I found that in my, in my life, too, as many times reaching out to people that are way more successful or have no business, in my opinion, spending time with me. Hmm. I, I found that to be uh, really neat of, of entrepreneurs in, in, in general, that they're really willing to help, especially if you make it easy for them to help you. I think that that is a really important detail. And my call to action here is if you are an entrepreneur, you should make yourself more available. Do something today to make yourself more available to up-and-coming entrepreneurs, whether that be volunteering at a university program, uh, a startup competition, or uh, providing a little bit of time to get coffee, setting aside office hours, um, any, something you can do. Uh, to really open yourself up to helping some of the young up-and-coming entrepreneurs. Now, if you aren't an entrepreneur, if you're one of the up-and-comers, then put a little effort into finding some advice, finding someone to sit down with you, maybe a mentor to help you out. Send an email, go visit a company that maybe you didn't have the courage to do before. Go make it happen. Now, this concludes our interview with Jeff Epstein. You can go thank him uh, for being on the show, for all of the great input he gave us today uh, by um, going to Twitter and tweeting at him at Jeff underscore Epstein. Uh, Also, in the show notes, we're putting a a link to the Wayback Machine so that you can see E. Sparty in action. Also, if you want to learn more about Ambassador, you think it might be a good fit for the company, go to entrehustle.com slash ambassador. Did you see what I did there? I just became an ambassador for Ambassador. Next week, we'll have another great episode for you. See you then.